Join me in prayer, will you? Our Father and our God, we, we thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning and just lift up our voices in praise to, to honor the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and to remind each other, remind ourselves of the incarnation that the Lord of glory would take on flesh, come and live among us, and then die for us, that our sins might be forgiven. So, Lord, we, we thank you for that great message, and I pray as we spend time now in your word, uh, understanding the nature of this royal visit, that why the Lord of glory would come to be among us, that it might shape our lives, not just inform our minds, but that the Holy Spirit of God would, would take action in our lives, and we would cooperate with everything you want to do in us, that we might fully live out the truth, the theological truth, the reality of Christmas and what it means to our lives in practical ways, oh God. I pray that we might rejoice and praise you and that the word of God might come alive in us. For Jesus' sake, I pray, amen. One thing I think that seems abundantly obvious as we watch the television is that leadership uh, for which CNN has made an entire industry, causes us to be polarized, particularly political leadership. We find ourselves on one side or the other and debating those sides, and generally uh, the leadership that we like is based upon whether or not we sense it brings us personal benefit. And that seems to be the way, the human nature, that sides are chosen on that basis. I will support leadership that tends to benefit me the most. When Simeon the, the priest was presented the newborn Christ child, eight days old, and he took him in his arms, he made this statement about that child. In Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 34 and 35, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Catch those words. Jesus is controversial in our world. And it was prophesied that he would be. He would cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I would suggest to you today that Jesus brings clarity to human ambiguity. You can't be wishy-washy about Jesus. Jesus is a clarifying reality in our world. As we explore the nature of Christ, God becoming flesh, living among us, and, and answer the questions of why the royal visit, why did he do this? For certain, as we have been investigating, we have discovered that Jesus is a dividing line. People have an opinion about him. He forces that opinion. He is the one who causes the falling and rising. Hearts are revealed 
for what they really are. A lot of people try to play games with who they are or who they are not. But Jesus Christ clarifies which side of reality we are on. In our, first, um, in our first of this series, we discovered that Jesus came to bring hope in God. If you remember, that was our first in this series. Jesus came to bring hope in God. Uh, in terms of humanity and the dividing line, people seek happiness. And Christ becomes that decision of where we will find or where we will seek our happiness. Humans will either seek their happiness in sin or they will seek their happiness in God. There's no middle ground, there's no other alternatives. There's only those two alternatives. Christ came to clarify that alternative. Sin, you see, is really a decision that we make to find happiness outside of God. Sin is a decision that we will choose happiness. To find our happiness, we will choose sin. Jesus came to bring us happiness through hope in God. We determined last week as we were uh, seeking the scriptures, Pastor Calvin brought us part two, and we discovered that Jesus is the clarifying reality in terms of truth. Jesus came to testify to truth. Those on the side of truth listen to Jesus. Those who are fudging in their lives do not listen to Jesus and are therefore not on the side of truth. There's not ambiguity to that. It's, it's really, you can't sort of wiggle around that. The question is, are you on the side of Jesus? Well, sure I am. Well, then do you listen to Jesus? Well, some, well then maybe you're not on the side of truth. Jesus came to testify to truth and made this clear statement. Those who listen to me are on the side of truth. So as you can see in terms of the controversy, Jesus Christ is a clarifying reality. Today we want to continue on with our third uh, part in this series, and um, we want to pick up from where we lo- left off, the royal visit of Christ as it forces clarity in matters related to God. Um, today we're going to look at why Jesus came to earth and, and explore uh, the uh, fact that he addressed a critical human need and why he came. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them, and I know you do, to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look there in a few moments. But um, before we we, uh, dig into the text, um, many skeptic philosophers have suggested that Christmas is merely a made-up story because Christians needed it to be true. You may encounter this throughout your life where people say, well, you just... You need to know that that whole Christmas stuff about Jesus and the manger and all that stuff, that's just made up because you, you need it to be true. Well, so as you expand upon that sense or idea that is uh, out there in our culture, the question is, do, are, are we just believing this because we need to believe it? We need it to be true. Uh, In other words, what sets 
the biblical Christmas story apart from all the other nice moral Christmas fairy tales that are, are out at this time of the year. You know, like every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. How come you all know that better than Hebrews 7.25? I mean, seriously. It's a wonderful life is not scripture. And that certainly is not true. It's a ridiculous idea. I hate to break that to anybody, but... So, in other words, have we just created God or did God create us? I mean, do, do our needs create God or does our uh, rejection of God create our needs? And so as we explore this question a little deeper today, I, I want to I look at this Christmas story from a, a different angle than maybe we've looked at before in, in this. Have Christians made up Christmas because we need it to be true? And I want to follow that up by saying, I want you to be thinking now, if humans were to have made a Christmas story, and there are a lot of them out there, but if Christians were to have made a Christmas story about a God who would come to earth, would we have made the story that we find in the scriptures? If we were to create a God and to create a royal visit and to create an idea that would suit our needs, as the skeptic philosophers suggest, would we create the Jesus of the Bible? Now, in a moment of 100% honesty, the sons of Zebedee, you know these guys? Who are they? You're shaking your heads, but you're not naming them. James and John, thank you. They opened their mouths for all humanity and answered the question, what kind of Jesus, what kind of Messiah, what kind of royal visit, what kind of Christmas story would we make when they said to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You're saying that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Sounds like the content of many of our prayers, or if not most. If humans were to create a Christmas Jesus, James and John have spoken for all of us. We want a genie, not a Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's our Christmas idea. That would be our incarnation story. The royal visit would be this, a God who comes to earth to take care of every little tiny wish we have. That's who we would create. So to the skeptic philosophers who think the Jesus of the Bible is just a made-up idea of the human mind, let's look again a little more carefully. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. That's disciples and many who were following Jesus. With Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. By the way, this picture, Jesus, the, the whole uh, description here, of they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples, an entourage of Jews going to uh, Israel, going to Jerusalem, Jesus is leading the way. The, the one who, um, who is bringing freedom to captives. It's a, it's a picture of Isaiah 35.10. Everything here is steeped in, in Old Testament uh, prophecy. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he, re he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to look at this text this morning from the perspective of the skeptic who would suggest that we have created this story to suit our own needs. We need it to be true, so that's why we believe in it. So if people made their own honest Christmas fairy tale, human beings were, were given the task of, of creating their own Christmas tale, their Christmas God would. Would he be this? So uh, stay with me on this. So, so let's, let's picture it with, first of all, from James and John. Um, I mean, if we were creating our own Christmas fairy tale, our Christmas tale, uh, we would have James and John, if Jesus asked them a question, we would have uh, James and John say, we want you, please, 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 to give a promotion to Andrew and Matthew. That's what, that, of course, that's, that's the story that humans would make, right? We would, we would say if, if we had been James or John, we would have said to Jesus, we wouldn't have said, Jesus, give us whatever we want you to give us. We would have said, Jesus, we want you to give a promotion to Andrew, and we want you to give a promotion to Matthew. Why, why would we say that? Well, because, let's, let's face it, 
Andrew should be given the office of recruitment specialist because Andrew was the one who, who went and got Peter. And we, you all know Peter. Peter was, not, he was a, not an easy guy to convince of anything. And so he won Peter over to the Lord. So, so let's make Andrew, obviously he's gifted. He should be the, the recruitment director of our group. And Matthew, Matthew, he should be the, um, the organizer. He should be the... Um, the administrator of the group par excellence, because after all, he's got organizational savvy. He went and invited all his previous friends and colleagues and sinners to a, to a banquet to, to meet the Lord. So let's give him the, the best places and, 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 and let's give him a, a promotion. That, of course, is what humans would do, right? That's always what we would do. We always, we're always looking around for each other and we're saying, no, no, it shouldn't be me. It should be them. They should be given the role. They should be given the best place. They should be given profile. They should be given the highest standing. But in truth, James and John stated, we want to be associate lords. That's literally what they said. The right and the left of God. They wanted on their business card to say, Associate Lord. Because we, we know throughout the scriptures that, that we have the Father and who's at the right hand of the Father? The Son. We, we know, and, and it's not as if this was a new uh, uh, awakening or should have been new to them. I mean, they knew the Psalms or should have known the Psalms. Psalm 110, verse 1, David's talking there about the Lord, my Lord, at the right hand of, of God. He, he's suggesting as king that, that his, his Lord, his offspring would be Lord of him and would have the rightful place. They're asking for positions that are extreme they are asking to be associate lords in glory. People want to dominate and be God. People are not normally given to, to give nice things away to other people. And here we have a, a royal visit where, where the king of kings says, here's what I want you to be. I want you to be servants of everybody. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. If people made their own honest Christmas fairy tale... Their Christmas God would give them the place and position they want. He wouldn't be a servant who would ask them to be everybody's slave. Jesus calls a time out, a huddle, and brings them in and says, Guys, your idea of the kingdom is what you see around you, the culture that you see around you. How tragic that you would think that I've come to, to model the, 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 the things you see around where, where the Gentiles are lording it over each other. And, and, and a little a phrase that we probably don't pay much attention to, uh, we, we just see the Gentiles lording it over them. But then you have and their high officials exercising authority over them. There's no end to this me first kind of thing. Not so with you. I think there's, um, outside of outright lostness, there's no other thing that breaks the heart of God than infighting and competitive posturing in ministry. You know, this isn't the first time these guys have been wrangling with each other. One chapter back, Mark talks about them 
on their, on their journey to Capernaum arguing over who's the greatest. And Jesus has to haul a child up. He takes a little child and says, look at this little child. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. The, the ministry that I bring is not one-upmanship. It's actually ministry to children. It's actually stooping if you have to. That, that's, what, that's what moves my heart, Jesus says. Who has a place of power and is sort of Christian version of the idol or the voice or Canada's newest star? It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. It's, 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 the, it's the Christmas tale that humans would make, but not the one that we find in the Bible. So much of Christian ministry potentials flush down the toilet. People wanting to be first. Wanting to be noticed. We're so busy out there claiming to give God all the glory, but wanting to make sure that everybody knows how great our ministry is or how awesome it is and how wonderful and how big our numbers are and how, how many this and how many that. Remember when David started counting his group, how God viewed that? God was incredibly displeased. Why? Because there's a subtle line between giving God glory and starting to trust in the strength of your own numbers. Now look, numbers are important. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. Numbers matter to God. Metrics matter. Measurements matter. Of course they do. But be careful that the measurements aren't about your own pride and your own glory and trying to establish how, where you are in the pecking order posturing in ministry. Pouting when you don't get something that you think you should get. Because the truth of the matter is in terms of our privilege to be in the kingdom of God, in terms of position and power and public acclaim and all of that kind of stuff that the culture cares about, we couldn't even have got out, gotten out of bed this morning if God hadn't have allowed us. If God wasn't breathing into your lungs right now, you couldn't take your next breath. In terms of, of acclaim or posturing or position or standing or greatness, seriously, humans, we are so fragile. We are so dependent. The real story, the story that only God could deliver is a God who sets out to rescue us from ourselves, to serve our desperation. Imagine a royal visit. Who would draw this up? Who saw this coming? Completely opposite to our wildest imagination, born in a manger, in a stable. When we think of kings coming, we think of people groveling. We, we think of people doing all kinds of service to them. And this king comes and says, no, no, I, 
I, I came to serve, not to be served. It stands everything on its head. He says to them, though, by the way, if you really, if you want to be great, and I'm, I'm okay with you being great, but I want you to be great at this. I want you to be great at being everybody's slave. That's true greatness in the kingdom of God. That's the Christmas story. That's why the royal visit, that's why the king of kings came, to show us how to be everybody's slave. You say, I don't, I don't see that in the text. Yes, 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 it's in the text. Verse 44, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You know what slave of all is? Everybody's slave. That is so counterculture. I had some days off this past week, so I was out and about in Oshawa. Oshawa, with its slogan, prepare to be amazed. I'll tell you what I was amazed at. How rude this city is. The people in this city specialize in rudeness. I don't know whether it's this season, because maybe I haven't been out lately in this season. I don't know what it is. But it is awful out there. Day after day, I came home to Lynn and stated to her, you can't believe the rudeness out there. You know, you, you signal to go into a lane. There's a little tiny gap that you might get into. As soon as you signal, it's car comes up as fast as it can. You're not getting in. And I'm pulling out of a gas station. I, you don't want to make eye contact with anybody because you see a gap, you know, and there's this, there's this you know, nice-looking young woman in a van, and there was a gap to come out of a, out of a gas station with a big, huge lineup, you know, like forever behind her. And, and it's like she's not making eye contact with me, and I know what she's going to do any second. And sure enough, pulled up as fast as you could so that there was no gap left. Like, Really? It wasn't one of you, was it? <laughs> I'm looking for a blonde girl. <laughs> Thought, man, this city specializes in rudeness. Butting in, uh, you know, you dare not signal. You're just better to take the lane. But then again, we're called to be everybody's slave. Our whole salvation, as I read this with what Christ is saying and giving, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come. He came to serve. Our salvation is founded on a servant king. Our salvation. We're talking about the theme of who we are and the Christmas story that would be made. Would humans make a story? that meant our whole disposition would be everybody's slave. That's what we're called to. Our worldview is founded on serve as the highest value, the way in which Christianity will work and the way in which Christ will be made known. This is the Christmas incarnation. This is the story. 
why he came. There's a second facet, though. He talks about serving, but then he uses the word ransom. That's a loaded word, a loaded word for sure to an early Jewish audience. Would humans create the Christmas agenda that is now being portrayed in the word ransom? Let's back the story up a little bit. I want you to see it again. Maybe you, maybe you passed over it quickly. Jesus takes the 12 aside at the end of verse 32. And he tells them what's going to happen to him. That, that he's going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. And then he's going to be condemned to death. He's going to be handed over to these same Gentiles. He's going to be mocked and spat upon and flogged and killed. And he'll rise again the third day. And in a jaw-dropping moment of utter depraved egocentric humanity. James and John say to him, after he says this, does that mean we're going to get our promotion sooner? I mean, that's literally what they're saying here. He is telling them, the one that they supposedly loved, that Peter has just said a few verses before, Master, we've left everything for you. (laughs) You haven't left yourselves. You haven't left yourselves, but we've left everything for you. And now he tells them that the one that they love is is going to be killed and handed over and betrayed and spat upon and flogged and, and die. And all they're thinking about is promotions and fighting with each other. How often is the context of the church no different? We are people of Calvary. I don't mean our name, Calvary Baptist Church. I mean people of the cross. We are people of a Savior who gave his life for us. And here they are scrapping. It's like like telling someone in the office, like calling them in in confidence into your office, someone who's... uh, maybe your assistant or something like that, and, and, and sharing with them a most horrible situation where you've now been informed that you have a terminal disease. And within the next five minutes, they show up back at your office with a tape measure measuring your office. I mean, that's how we treat our Savior. Every time, we undercut each other, jockey for position, pout about not getting something that we think we should get, trying to put ourselves first, cutting the legs out from underneath someone, a brother or a sister. You know what people really want? Because Jesus was telling them about their greatest need that he was going to take care of by dying for them. You know what people really want? John hit the nail on the head in John 3.19 when he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world but men loved 
darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. If humans were making up a Christmas story, it wouldn't be a story to get rid of our sins. It would be a story to legalize our sins because that's our preference. It would make sin legal so that they could indulge in their own fantasies and even more deeply. The God we would create would be as competitive and capricious and cutthroat as us. People want to be freed to sin. They don't want to be freed from sin. I mean, look around us. People want power without ethics. They want power without sacrifice. They want power without servanthood. They want to be freed to sin except the sin that hurts them. They want loose morals but tight boundaries around themselves. We legalize the ob objectification of women and wonder, bewildered why they are abused. We legalize gambling and scramble to understand why families are falling apart. We're about to legalize recreational marijuana and we're going to wonder why traffic fatalities go up and drug addiction goes up. We want our sins. We just want to be freed from the consequences. The real story is a God who lays down his life as the price for freeing slaves of sin, rebels at heart, vying for glory and undercutting God to get it. The imagery is, is powerful here. Well, Jesus basically is saying, since you guys aren't going to ask, I, I mean, shouldn't they have said, they're going to kill you? Why? You're going to raise, you're going to, three days later, you're going to rise? What? That should have been an arresting moment. The rest of Mark should have been a discussion group of, what, tell us more. What is this all about? It said they just go on with their infighting. The other disciples are indignant, not because they're champions for Christ. They just didn't get to the me first thing first. Jesus leading the way to Jerusalem. This is a prophetic fulfillment of, of Israel returning to Zion, taking captives to freedom. This laying down his life is a picture of Isaiah 53.10. And when he talks ransom, that was a word well known to the Jews. By the way, when they did a census, Exodus 30.12, you can read this. They had to give a ransom offering to God, an atoning offering that he might be appeased. It was a token. It wasn't much. It was a token offering. And whether you were rich or poor, you paid the same thing. Imagine that. In Mark, the, the question is asked, what will a man pay to, to, for his soul? And, and David writes in the Psalms, in Psalm 49, 7 and 9, Nothing you can pay for yourself. And Jesus steps forward and says to these guys, I'm paying. 
Not only did I come to show you servant, but I'm actually going to pay for your sins. I'm paying. All these token atoning sacrifices that have been, you've been practicing all these years, that's about me. That's why I'm here. You're infighting and squabbling about position and all in your horrible sinfulness. I've come to give my life that you might have forgiveness, that you might be able to live a different way, that you might be freed from the mastery of sin to be able to serve me and no longer squabbling with each other about position, posture, and standing, public acclaim, but to, to try to beat each other to who can serve each other most. Would humans make a story like that? I'd submit to you there's no chance that we would make a story like that. I will give them this. We do need this story and we do need to believe in it because we need this. But we would never make it up this way. Not ever. So you have been died for so that you're freed from your sin to belong to God's family There is no greater rank in all the world. There's no greater standing. It doesn't get higher than this. A part of the family of God. There is no greater position. You've reached the top position to be part of the family of God, no longer enslaved by a former slave master. You've been bought out of this and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ who now has purchased you and rightfully owns you as a servant of the living God. So be zealous to trade your slavery to sin for slavery to God, not to fight for your ego your self-centeredness or your sinfulness, but to take your place in the family of God, in the assigned place he has given you, because we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for us to do. It's not about posturing. It's not about undercutting each other. It's not about feeding somebody some sort of line so that I can get a better standing somewhere. No. God has already called us into his family and assigned us by gifting, by abilities, by opportunity, according to his bidding, who we are and what we will do. So the key message of Christmas in this text is in praise of our self-giving God and the privilege of radical service. Let's check ourselves against this. Are we modeling the reason Christ made of the season? Are we? Jesus came giving and we seem to have a wish list of getting. The cross judges our egos and finds us empty and depraved every time. Are you about success, status, and standing, and political posturing, importance, 
Thomas Akempis said this, the devil is continually tempting thee to seek high things to go after honors. What if, what if Oshawa was prepared to be amazed by us? Here, let me slow down and let the car come in. Here, you take, you come in front of me because you have so many parcels in your hand. Why don't you come first? What if Oshawa, Whitby, Durham region actually witnessed the kingdom of Christ by how we lived? Our salvation was founded on servanthood. The picture of Christianity is based upon servanthood. Making Christ known for who he really is is based upon our servanthood. And I would suggest this, that before we're able to export, we need to do it right here. And from what I have experienced, I love you to death, but we have lots of work to do being servants to one another in the church first so that we can be servants to the world. Slaves of all. Everybody's slave. Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you for your patience with us as we continue, Lord, to grow in an awareness of who we can be, who we should be, who we are empowered to be as we live out the Christmas story in our lives. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. It was a terrible time in God's kingdom. Gideon had defeated the Midianites and now there was kind of a leadership vacuum in Israel. There was all kinds of squabbling and infighting. Gideon's sons were vying for positions. One of them in particular slaughtered his 70 brothers to get position and power. One of the brothers that survived, Jotham, gave this illustration to Israel about the dangers of grabbing power, wanting position, wanting public acclaim. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. And they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil? by which both gods and men are honored to hold sway over the trees. Next, the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and men, to hold sway over the trees? 
Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Those who are fruitful and in the place God has put them bear fruit. Those who seek to usurp those places are usually the fruitless that aspire to power. The brush that's claimed to fame is burning down the other trees. Those of you who serve the living God in the place he's given you, rejoice and bear fruit. Beware of those who come seeking to undermine and gain power. They're usually fruitless and they're seeking to burn down the fruitful. We bring an offering. The offering we bring is to serve the Lord our God with all our hearts, mind, soul, body, and strength to love him, to serve one another, to be everybody's slave. For therein, Christianity is adorned and demonstrated and shown for what it truly is. Our Father and our God, make us servants. Make us servants of one another, O God. May we be remarkable in this. May we specialize in being great at being servant of each other. That we could market this to the Durham region and on. That they might see something remarkably different, O oh God. And desire to have the one we have, the Lord Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.